awesome as we continue our study in 2 Samuel. If you've been with us, we're, we've made it to chapter 15. So as you make your way to chapter 15, 2 Samuel, <clears throat> I want to bring us back to chapter 12 as a way to set up chapter 15. And there's a conversation there with the prophet Nathan when he confronts David in his sin. Remember? His double sin of his adultery with Bathsheba and then the subsequent murder of her husband Uriah. And like most of us that are caught in sin, we are blinded. We have poor perspectives. We're tone deaf to really the damage the wreckage that we're doing to ourselves and those around us, and in David's case, his nation, right? So Nathan, if you remember, tells him a story, a little parable to confront him in his sin. And you remember the story. It's about two men from a certain city. One was very wealthy and had lots of flocks and herds, lots of animals, right? He was wealthy. And the other one was poor. Remember? He had one ewe lamb, and he treated this ewe lamb like his own daughter, it said. He ate and raised this little baby ewe lamb like a daughter, raised him with his kids, ate out of his own plate, and said that he even drank out of his cup and slept in his arms. So ewe lamb was very precious, right? Soul possession. And then the rich man had a traveler come in that he had to feed, right? And as the story goes, instead of taking out of his excess, out of his many wealthy herds and flocks, he went to the poor man and took his baby ewe and killed it and served it for supper to his guests. When David heard this parable, this story, he's like, who is this man? I am going to kill this man. He deserves to die because he didn't pity the poor man. And his baby, you, lamb. And Nathan stuck it right to him, right? He said, it's you, David. It's you. Why would you do such a thing? Remember? And he spoke the words, as a prophet does, of God himself. And one of the things he said at the end of that story was, David, these are the words from God. I'm going to bring one up. I'm going to bring one up that's evil out of your own household to be against you, right? Do you remember that? Well, chapter 15 is the outward manifestation of Nathan's prophetic punishment, repercussions of David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. That's what chapter 15 is. We'll see it comes through the man, his beautiful and brilliant son, Absalom. That's the evil that's been boiling if you've been around here the last couple weeks, right? There's been some evil. Absalom's been around. It's been boiling. But now it's coming against David. His own son is going to try to usurp his political kingdom. And he's going to stage a coup d'etat. So that's chapter 15. And the first two words of verse 1, chapter 15, starts like this. It says, after this. And we'll continue to maybe give you some background and lay the landscape here with those two words. After this, after what? Well, the end of chapter 14, if you were here last week, 
we're left with Absalom being reinstated out of exile back in not only to Jerusalem, but into the king's courts to his proper place of the son of a king, right? He belongs in the king's house. He's the heir. He's been replaced. You see, it was a long journey to get to the end of chapter 14 for Absalom then. If you've been tracking with us the last couple of chapters, it's been like a Jerry Springer show, right? Absalom, whoa. Amnon, Tamar, I mean, this is like, you remember, it, it took a long journey for him to get back reinstated into the palace. Remember the story of chapter 13 and 14? It's horrible. Absalom had a half-brother, Amnon, remember? And he fell in love, or better yet, fell in lust with his sister, Tamar, remember? And he found a way to rape her and then kicked her out of his house and just shamefully treated her. Couldn't be any worse. It's disgusting. When Absalom heard this, he took, took Tamar into his house, and it said she lived a desolate woman in the house of Absalom. And Absalom, at that point forward, a black evil was growing in his heart, so much to the point where you remember it crescendos into, he killed, he had Amnon killed. He murders his brother for retribution for treating his sister so shamely. Remember? He gets run out of town, kind of exiled, right? He has to run out of there, banished from Jerusalem. He lives down in Gersher for three years or so. And finally, the leader of the military, David's military, Joab, finds a way to get Absalom back reunited with his dad and reconcile kind of and then eventually back into his house where we sit right now at the end of chapter 14. After this means after all of that, some five or six years after he murdered his brother for the rape of his sister, sitting back in the king's court, David kind of forgives him, and he's, he's there. They kind of reconcile at arm's length. What does Absalom do? Chapter 15, we'll see what he does. <laughs> Just check it out in the first few verses. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used, used, to, <coughs> excuse me, used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when they said, your servant is such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were the judge in this land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So what, is, what does Absalom do when he's reinstated to his proper hierarchy as the heir of the throne 
forgiven per se of his, his indiscretions, says he works on stealing the hearts of the people. Ooh, he's a, he's a cunning little guy, isn't he? He's trying to win the people over. He's that evil person that God spoke of. He's, he's planning, he's scheming, right? In the first phase of his scheming to overthrow his dad is I gotta win the people. It says he stole their hearts. He begins by carrying out a deliberate plan to undermine the political authority of David. How does he do that? He does it, if you look at it, three kind of ways that I see here that I like. The first thing Absalom does to steal the hearts is he uses his beauty. He goes for image. He goes for prestige. He goes for flash. Now listen, this guy didn't need any help being flashy. If you remember in chapter 14, he's described as the most handsome person in Israel. Remember, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, he had not a blemish. He said when they cut his hair once a year, it weighed about six pounds. <laughs> Whoa. That's like Fabio, right? It's like Fabio. <laughs> Good-looking guy. He was beautiful, right? And he starts here by really starting the first social media campaign, the first image he said, listen, I'm going to use what I'm good at to win people over. I'm a good-looking guy. Listen, I don't need to walk. I'm going to get myself a chariot and some horses, which was unheard of of this day. The, people, the leaders of those days either walked or they took a donkey or a mule. Horses and chariots were fit for other types of land than the Jews were used to living in. But he, if you look at it, he picked up a chariot and some horses and 50 men to go in front of him. Let me just translate this, okay? I'm going to stand on my chariot. I'm going to have my horses winning, right? And I'm going to have 50 guys in front of me to slow us down so you all guys get a good look at me because I'm really, 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 really good looking, right? And it's not my fault, right? <laughs> so everybody could get a good look at him. Image. He knew that this was the moneymaker, right? He's not that talented. He's not religious, He's not a great leader per se. This is where he makes his money. So I'm going to go ahead and look flashy. I'm not going to hold my ponies, right? I'm going to let them go, and I'm going to show you guys how beautiful I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a little swagger. I'm going to give you my money maker, and I'm going to see if I can win you over with my image. Seems silly kind of, doesn't it? Fabio riding a chariot, and people going, oh, look at, look at him. I like him. Look at that guy. He's so handsome. Image is really powerful, is it not? <laughs> always has been, and it always will be. We need to be very careful of imagery. What our little eyes look at, we should be so careful. It mesmerizes the human inside of a human. Look at the shiny thing. Look at the pretty woman, right? I mean, we live in a day and age where our young daughters are looking up to people like the Kardashians and their image of a lifestyle instead of 
the woman in church raising kids and foster kids, good quality woman. That's what society's feeding our kids right now, right? We live in a day and age where 17 and 18 year olds can get NIL deals in college. NIL, like, right? Name, image, and likeness. I want to get paid for that. Really? You're going to get paid for your image? At 17, you think you're ready for that. It's a crazy world we live in. You know? There's not many NIL deals given to wrestlers. <laughs> We're kind of a blue-collar sport, right? They're dime a dozen for football. I mean, you read about some of these deals that these kids are making now. It's ridiculous. But there is one wrestler on the University of Oklahoma wrestling team that has an NIL deal that my son, was, he wrestles for them, was telling me about. And I said, Gabe, don't talk. That, that's the stupidest thing in the world. Quit talking about that. Don't talk about it. Uh, you know what I told him? I said, you know what University of Oklahoma should, you know who they should give an NIL deal to? Jesus Christ. That's the name, image, and likeness that you guys should be after, right? Not yourself. I mean, you should, these kids should be after the name of Jesus, right? The image, right? We're made in the image. We want to be transformed, right? Into his image. Instead, we stick our chests out and we look at image, so important. Remember Jesus made himself of no reputation, right? Made himself the likeness, talk about likeness, of a man. I know that sounds good because we're men, not good for the son of God, the creator of the ends of the earth. It was a little lower than the angels, it said. That's pretty low for him. Image, so important. We need to be careful. That's the first way he stole his heart. Hearts of the men and the people of Israel was through image, his beauty, but the other way, if you look at it, is his brilliance, I think. Pretty smart guy. He was a cunning politician. He stirred the pot diligently. Look at verse 2. He stirred, his, he stirred the pot diligently. Look at it. It said, he rose early. This was not a lazy person. He woke up early and went to the way of the gate. He got in front of the people. Every politician knows that's what you do. You work hard. You pound doors, right? Got right in the way when people were coming in. He woke up early, and he started undermining the Department of Justice is really what he did, right? Oh, if I was in charge, <laughs> no one's here to listen to your gripe. You're right. Too bad no one's here to help you. If I was in charge, things would be different, right? Undermining David's administration of justice. I like this. What city are you from? Does this sound like a politician to you? Hey, where are you from? Right? They try to make it personal. It's so obvious. Where are you from? Hey, if I was in charge, this policy work. They're making policy personal, which they have no intention of keeping if you've ever followed politicians, right? Remember Joe the plumber in the 2008 election? Remember that? Remember Joe the plumber? No? He was at a town hall with Obama, remember? Then Senator Obama, he stood up and said, hey, I'm a plumber and I'm going to buy a business. And your tax policy is not good for small business, remember? Well, McCain campaign liked that. So they took him. Hey, this is Joe the plumber. Look at this. This is personal. These tax policies are not going to work personally. They use people's names all the time like they really care about Joe the plumber, right? Politically expedient. Crazy, stirring the pot. He was diligent. He was good at it. He put himself right in the gate, right where the people came in. He asked where they were from. He told them, if I had this place, this place would be run really good. Wink, wink, 
right? Didn't say anything bad about my dad, but if I ran the show, right? So he's just breaking down, trying to win the people, asking them where they're from, making his policies the way he would rule personal. And then finally, he's a glad handler. Look at this. When people came to pay homage for him, in verse five, do you see that? He would grab their hand and embrace them and kiss them. He's kissing babies, just like politicians do. You ever see a politician? It's like, it's like a prop. Someone bring a baby, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty good instincts politically. So Absalom starts, starts the breakdown, starts to, to scheme and plan against his dad. The evil's boiling. It's coming up. It's coming against David. Where he starts is with the people. He wants to, he wants to win the people over. And it said he did. It said that last verse, sir, he stole their hearts. So they liked him. They were for him. That's, that's dangerous. And if you look at the next section here in verse 7, coming from there, we're going to see his scheme changing from ideas and thoughts and winning people to actually action. He's going to start his overthrow of his dad. Check it out. Verse 7. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Gershur in Aram, saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests of his, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifice, he sent for Ithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from the city of Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So Absalom's showed great patience with his plan. It said for four years he worked on the people to win them over. After four years, the scheme is changing. It's going into action, and it starts by him, very sneaky, asking his dad, King David, if he could go back down to Hebron. He asked his permission so that he may pay a vow to the Lord. When he was down, exile for those three years, remember? When the exile, after he killed his brother, he was down there. And his story is, hey, dad, when I was down there, I made a promise to God that if I ever get back to Jerusalem, I'm going to come back here and worship you. I'm gonna, I'm, I, I made a vow to God. I want to I make that right with God. David, suspecting nothing, said, go in peace. Yes, go. It's interesting to me how after four years, you're ready to fulfill your vow. It seems a little, little bit suspicious to me, not to David. David says, go in peace. It's ironic a little bit that those are the last words that David spoke to his son Absalom ever. Go in peace. And as we'll find out, 
He goes not in peace. He goes in war. He goes in rebellion, right? He goes in being an usurper of his dad. Very ironic to me. He did not go in peace, but he sent secret messengers, right? At the same time, he sent all these messengers out to every tribe of Israel. He sent them out, and he said, guys, when you hear the trumpet, when I'm safe behind the walls of the city of Hebron, when I'm there and safe with my 200 men and with David's number one counselor, right, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who runs all the military plans and political plans, right? The, the, let's say, the Karl Rove and the Colin Powell, that all in one, that guy, when I got him and 200 of your people of, important people of your cabinet, David, when I get behind the walls, I'm gonna blow a trumpet and I want all you guys to say the same thing. Absalom is king. Sounds funny because people are yelling <laughs> and maybe the word would not go out, but in today's terms, that would be kind of like you got home from work and you clicked on the TV and it said, well, there's a new administration just got overthrown and now they're in power. Whoa, that's weird. You've heard about fake news, so you go to the other channel, right? <laughs> and then the other channel says the same thing and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go to Twitter because they never lie, right? Everything on there is true. You click and it all says the same thing. Right? Absalom is in charge now. David no longer. Right? All at the same time. News travels fast. Those 200 men were important people. They were handpicked by Absalom. They took the power right away from David. I think they were important people in his cabinet. They made things run. And he had them as guests. They didn't know what was going on. Said they went innocently, but once they got behind the walls, eh, I think I'm on Absalom's side now, right? So that's kind of how it went. Interesting to me, side note, Aithophel, David's chief advisor, said he was down in Gilonite. He's a Gilonite. He's down in Gilo. Do you, do you guys remember who this guy was? Does anybody know who he was? He's Bathsheba's grandfather. Are you kidding me right now? Seriously. Two things. Why is he not even in Jerusalem if he's the main, the main man, David's main chief advisor? Why isn't he there? Maybe David in his sin with Bathsheba, maybe there was some awkwardness. Maybe he sent him away. Maybe he said, David, you're a creep. I'm out. It's not right. I don't know what it was. I have no idea. It doesn't say. I just thought that to be pretty ironic that Bathsheba's grandfather now is with Absalom running the show. Absalom summons him. Now he's on his side and the revolt is growing, it says. Man, David's sin just keeps on giving, doesn't it? Without this man... I don't think Absalom has much. I mean, maybe it's a, this guy's key. It's the linchpin that when David finds out, he's like, oh, he's got him. He's got Ahithophel. We're in trouble. It's sin that keeps giving, yeah? Check out this next section. 
What do you think David's going to do when he hears this news? Will he stay and fight? Will he run? What will he do? Let's check it out. David does flee Jerusalem. Verse 13, let's check it out. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all the servants who were with him in Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there would be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of his sword. And the king's servant said to the king, behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord, the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left 10 concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him and they halted at the last house. And all the servants passed by him all the Cherites and all the Polythites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday and shall today make you wander with me and with us since I not know where we were going. Go back and take your brothers with you and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, go then, Pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept out loud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. Pretty sad story in a way. David gets a messenger that gives him the news of what's going on. And I wonder for a moment what went through David's head. What went through his mind? What hit him in deep in his heart in that moment when he heard his son revolted against him? I wonder. Well, we don't have to wonder a ton. There are a few Psalms that David wrote during this time. And we know for one thing he was mad Check this out, Psalm 55, verse four. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling came upon me and, ho and horror overwhelmed me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from this raging wind and tempest. Scared, angry, fearful, for sure. I'm sure he felt betrayed. I know I would. Verse 12 tells us that. Speaking of his enemy at this time, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Verse 12 of Psalm 55. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from it. 
but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Betrayal. You know, at least he was fearful and angry and felt betrayed. But you know what I felt? He, you know what I know he felt the most? That's just my personal opinion. I think he felt Nathan's word. That's what I felt. God's word through Nathan. You, this is you, David. This isn't Absalom. This is not Aotheth, whatever his name is. I can't even say it. <laughs> it's not him. <laughs> it's you. It is you. It's the repercussions of your sin. It's the rising up of evil against you coming from your own house. It's the prophetic punishment. I think he just looked at that and went, yep, here it is. Here it is. And what David does with that is interesting. And the rest of this chapter kind of speaks of that. Before we get to the last couple of sections, though, was anybody touched by Ittai? Have you read this story before? So it says all his servants went with him. So he's taken all the people, and they're getting out of Dodge. And they stop at the last house, and they look back. He's taking inventory. Who's coming with me? Who's staying? Who's coming? I'll leave some concubines to take care of the palace. I'm out of here, and who's coming? He said people were coming with him. And all of his bodyguards and his servants, they came with him. Even 600 of the Gittites. These are the people that he met and probably worked with as mercenaries when he was exiled down in Gath. Remember in the land of the Philistines when Saul was chasing him? These guys are still with him. Gittai is the leader of these 600 Gittites from Gath. They're mercenaries. They're exiles from their own country. Things aren't going well in Philistine right now. So they're with David. They, they were loyal to David. And as they're, he's like, no, we're going with you, David. And he's like, Ittai, get out, get, this is not your fight. You're not even a Jew. You're a Philistine. Go away and may God bless you. What an honorable thing David would say because he really needed him, right? In the words of Ittai, when I read them, they touched me. You see a guy in his own making in David right now, getting, the, getting his comeuppance, you'd say. Amen? He really is. God's taking him behind the woodshed right now. And he's never the same after that sin. You look at this awesome man after God's own heart was never the same. He's in this downward spiral in his own making. It doesn't get any lower than this right now. Your son is coming after you, and he's going to lay the wood to you right now, so much that you're leaving Jerusalem. He's down. You ever been down? Like, really down? Like, whether from your own making, or life itself, or for other people, or whatever, or just life happens, and you get kicked down? Whether it's from your own sin or God brought it to you to grow you up. Whatever reason. He reigns on the just and the unjust. Or if it's like in David's case where you just finally get, God's going to take upon the woodshed. Whom he loves, he disciplines. And if we're honest, we've all been there. Where we're blind and deaf, our perspective is horrible. We're in the dirt. 
You ever noticed how many people go, king? Have you noticed that about life? And the older I get, one of the most admirable qualities that I see in men and women alike is loyalty. It's when a woman says to a man, where you go, I'll go. It's when a man like Ittai says, listen, I don't have to do this. As you live, I'm going to be with you. He's not condoning behavior. He's saying, I'm with you. And I'm no better than you. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to serve you. So inspiring. Have you guys experienced this kind of loyalty? Oh, it's rare. It's so rare. There's a Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 20. It says, many men proclaim their own steadfast love. But a faithful man who can find him. Amen. And if you've lived long enough, you've felt the wrong end of that, right? That's a true statement. How many people do we have would stay by us? Not condoning and embedding our behavior, but just loyal to us, even when it gets a little crazy. I love Ittite's word. As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. Those are beautiful words of a faithful friend, amen? I think they went to battle together. I think they've seen a few things together. I think they probably saw the good, bad, and the ugly of each other. And he was gonna stay with David. It's very inspiring to me. So David, in the next section, has to, has to make a decision on what to do with the Ark of the Covenant. It was in Jerusalem, as you know. Let's check it out. He leaves it in Jerusalem, as we'll see. Verse 24. And Abathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they sat down the Ark of God until the people had passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. And let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Amaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abathar. See, I will... See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abathar carried the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up to ascend to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Hmm. The Levites were in charge of the ark, right? They're the only people that were to handle the ark, right? So the priests, the two priests there, Abathar and Zadok, they were going with them. They took, they took it out of Jerusalem, over, right over the brook of Kindred. They, 
They passed through a valley and they set it down and they're waiting for everybody to come. And David said, hey, listen, I want you to take that ark and I want you to take it back to Jerusalem. And in the moment where David finally yielded to his punishment, I think it was right here in this statement. In verse 25, carry the ark back. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good. David's like, hey, that's the dwelling place of God. Okay, bring it back to where it belongs in Jerusalem. I'm the one that messed up. He's the one punishing me. I'm not dragging him with me to exile. I am right here. If he sees so to be fit, he'll bring me back. He'll restore me. That's my God, David would say. He said, but listen, if he doesn't, I love it. He says, God, here I am. Do with you what you may. Oh, that's a yielded person. That's a person that submitted to the Lord, yielded to the Lord. His eyes are opening. The, the David we know, the man after God's heart, is coming back in that statement. It's like, Lord, man, yep, I had this coming. And listen, you're in charge. You're bigger than me. I'm not taking you with me. I'm going to go with you, <laughs> right? And if you want to put me down, here I am because I deserve it. Woe is me that you would pay attention to me. It's the shepherd boy coming out again, isn't it? It's not the man that took another's wife and then killed his husband, is it? This is the shepherd boy going, oh, Lord, do with you, do with me what you would see fit. That's a great place to be when you're sinning. Stop for a second and yield. Keep it really simple. God's bigger than you. He's got a bigger whipping stick. And he might stop hitting you if you get the message. <laughs> right? Uh, so they took it back to Jerusalem. And this demeanor, this... this uh, posture that David took. Do with me what you may, Lord. I'll take my weapons. I hope you restore me and bring me back to Jerusalem, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to send your dwelling place back to where it belongs, is maintained in verse 30. If you look at that, he said he went up and to ascended to the Mount of Olives. He wanted to go worship the Lord. He went up there weeping, barefoot, with his head covered, in, in, in those days, that was an emblem. That was an emblem of submission, of mourning, right? I messed up. I need to get right with the Lord, right? He's got no shoes on. He's covering his head. He's weeping as he goes. I think he finally got it. If I find favor in the Lord, he'll bring me back. Otherwise, Lord, do what you may with me. The last few verses here, we'll finish up. It's kind of sad, actually. It's a sad story. The Bible is, I was talking to my wife about this. It's like unbelievable, the Old Testament. 
Unbelievable. Everybody's talking about how crazy the world is now. That's all I hear all day. That's so crazy. I know, it's crazy. You ever read about Amnon and Tamar? You ever see this guy that is after God's own heart, but then he murders someone and commits it? You ever see, what? Yeah, this is weird stuff, right? I love, I love the Bible. I love studying it. I, I, I didn't even, I just read this, I just started this recently. I was like, dude, I love this story. It's awesome. God is so good and his word is so awesome. Amen. The last bit here, really, David is no pushover. He's leaving Jerusalem, but it's King David. He knows a few things. He's like that, that, uh, that uh, uh, insurance commercial. We know a few things because we've seen a few things, right? You know that? I don't know what that commercial, right? It's like, he's been around. He's seen a few things. So he starts to set up a little bit of a spy network. He's setting up some of his friends here. It's one of the reasons he sent the ark back with the priests. The religious people were with David. Absalom is. He's a heathen, right? He is not religious. So he had the Levites. One of the reasons he sent them back is because he was contrite and it was the right thing to do. The other reason, as you'll see, he's like, hey, you guys be my ears. Because people still need to worship in the temple, right? They need to worship. Check it out. The other reason, you know, he, he sets up uh, his friends there. So when Absalom comes back to power, they'll have something to deal with, a spy network. Check it out here in the last little bit. He's going to set up maybe some counter, counterintelligence here. And it was told David, verse 31 to the end here, that Ahithophel <laughs> is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, oh, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And he knew he was the man. Please make him stupid, because I know he's really smart, Lord. <laughs> While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head, and David said to him, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in times past. So now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abathar, the priest, there with you? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abathar, the priests, behold, their two sons are with them, Amaz and Zadok's son and Jonathan, <clears throat> Abathar's son, and by them we shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So David is no dummy. What he ends up doing is sending the priests back and their sons, their sons, you know, the workers, in the, in, they, they were going to relay messages to David in the, in the wilderness. And, and Hushai, his old friend, probably one of his most uh, loyal um, guys that would counsel him, longtime counselor and in his administration for a long time, he wants to go with them. And David's like, no, go back. Go back. The high priest that you know, 
anything you hear, you go tell Absalom that you want to serve him. Because that's what happened in those days. They did. Sometimes they'd change administration, but I want to serve you now, right? I served your dad. I want to serve you. So spy for me. Tell it to the priest's son. The sons will tell it to me, and maybe we'll get back in this place someday, right? So he sets up a little counterintelligence, and that's where we're left off. Um, Hushai enters Jerusalem and does what David says. The ark coming back to Jerusalem. At the same time, Absalom comes walking into Jerusalem as the new, what he thinks, king. And until next week, that's where we left off. Amen? All right? Are we still friends, everybody? Yeah? Awesome. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you set before us. And uh, I pray that some of the lessons we learned here in the life of David and Absalom and just um, in you, who you are, God, that we wouldn't just be hearers. Uh, we would be doers of your word this, this day. So be with us. Bless your body. Send everybody home here safely. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Amen, guys.